We are back in the book of Ecclesiastes, and guess what's coming today? I'm going to give you a clue. Go ahead, play it. Here's what's coming today. How many of you know the band? Raise your hand if you know the band and the song, It's Okay to Embarrass Yourself in Church. Now, here's another question. How many of you have seen this group in concert? Anyone? Anyone seen them in concert? This song came straight out of one of the most famous passages in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And it's all about the changing seasons of life, a time for everything. You've heard this before. And it commemorates, it puts into song this, this very famous poem found in Ecclesiastes 3. Okay, you can go ahead and bring that down. If you want to hear the whole song, you got to listen to it on your own time later. That's a good throwback. You can open up to Ecclesiastes 3, chapter 1. We're picking this series back up after we launched it last year. So if you're newer here or you forgot or you missed those initial sermons, they're all available online and our app. I would strongly encourage you to go to listen to the first three or four sermons in this series. We went through the background. We went through the author. We went through the main themes. We went through um, how this is a super unique book in the Bible. And therefore, we have to know how to process it because often as Solomon is talking, he's despairing of trying to find a purpose in life. And so if, if he says something in the book, um, like a, a Bible scholar would be like, you can't say that. That sounds like it's wrong. But he's reflecting on so many things. So we have to understand how to read the book to get the most out of it. Please go back find those sermons and listen to them. We are now at chapter 3, a time for everything. And Solomon is writing because life seems to be pointless. It seems to be fleeting. It goes by so quick. It seems to be repetitive. These things keep happening and it doesn't satisfy. He is the richest man alive and he's the wisest man alive and he's still not happy and he doesn't know why. And, and worst of all, he knows that he will soon pass on and be forgotten. He doesn't know what to do with that. So he writes this book, Ecclesiastes, to process all that. Therefore, we've called it, uh, I want it all to make sense. Solomon's search for meaning. He wanted it all, and then it wasn't enough, so he wanted it all to make sense. And wherever you are in your search for meaning, here's the bottom line of what we're going to see today. Uh, this is a quote by Philip Ryken. God's sovereignty over time and eternity is a thing of beauty. God's sovereignty over time and eternity is a thing of beauty. It will give you rest for your souls to embrace what we learn today. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Father, we pray that you would bless us as we go through this unique book, as we go through wisdom literature it's not what we're used to hearing in church. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not stories of great heroics. It's a man who's thinking about so many things and feeling uh, so many things. And Lord, I know that a book like this can minister to our hearts and our minds in a very special way. So I pray that you would use it to speak truth to us, to breathe hope and life into us by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, a time for everything. Here's what it says. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant 
and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. You can see in the formatting that this is a poem, it's a reflection, it's a thought, it's a psalm, it's a meditation. And because of the genre, we take it as it is. Uh, It's very descriptive of life. Uh, There's nothing in here that tells us what to do about this. This is just Solomon meditating on life under heaven according to God's ordained arrangement. The first thing you can write down is this. Number one, there is a fitting time for everything that happens. He's observing that there is a fitting time for everything that happens. Um, it's, it's right and timely and good, and soon he will use the word beautiful, how God governs these polar opposites of life. A few caveats as we get into this text that I have to share with you so we, we learn uh, appropriately from this genre Uh, would be the sermon is going to be a little lopsided because first we're going to deal with this poem and then the the three points after this will come a little more rapidly. So you're going to feel like we're on this point a little longer, but that's by design. Um, Second, because this deals with God's sovereign ordination over everything in life, when God's sovereignty is one key theme, a few things we have to remember. Understanding and observing God's sovereignty doesn't mean that everything that happens under the sun is good. In fact, There's a lot of wrong and wicked things that God calls out in his word. So don't read this to mean that whatever happens in the world must be good by the measure of God's moral will. That's not true. There's tragic things. There's wrong things. There's wicked things. And this meditation in no way makes those things morally right. Uh, Next, God's sovereignty doesn't excuse our behavior. So everything that's described here happening... Sometimes people will say, well, everything happens for a reason. How many of you have heard someone say that before? Well, everything happens for a reason. In a sense, that's true, God's ordained purpose, but often people will say that after something bad happened and it's kind of their fault, you know, like, (laughs) I ate 10 tacos, now my stomach hurts. Well, everything happens for a reason. We know the reason. It's not a mystery. (laughs) There is a reap-sow principle built into God's sovereignty. If you say bomb on an airplane, it's not going to be a mystery while you're in jail, okay? So this doesn't eliminate the reap-sow principle, um, and it doesn't excuse our behavior. We can't say, well, it just must have been a time for for that. So it doesn't excuse human behavior, and it doesn't eliminate our decision-making. Our choices are actually part, which Solomon emphasizes this, our choices, our labor, our effort are, are all part of God's sovereign created order. So now that we have those fundamentals of understanding God's sovereignty in place, let's start um, pulling out some of these that kind of go together, uh, and let's observe how God has set up life. Jot this down, God ordains life and death, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up, 
what is planted. So obviously you're, you're planting a living thing, a plant, and then you're pulling it up, you're killing it, and maybe eating it. You know, there's time for that. Uh, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, life and death. Well, let's start at the beginning. Birthdays are the best, right? You wake up in the morning and everyone on Facebook, even if they haven't talked to you all year long, are quick to say, happy birthday, because it commemorates the day you were born. We all came into this world at some point in time, and birthdays are the best. You can overeat without guilt. You get cake and ice cream. People wrap presents for you because you were born. Birthdays are the best, and God determines your birthday. Check this out. I mean, everyone loves a baby. Am I right? When you see a baby, it's like, oh, that just made my day. Baby pictures, uh, the little clothes. There is a time for that. There's a time to be born. And the scripture is clear that God is the one who brought you into this world at the time he chose. Job 14.5 says uh, that a person's days are determined by his creator. So you're the day of your birth and the number of your days um, and the day of your departure from this, uh, from this earth are all determined by God. And the day of birth and the day of death are built into the way God, that, the way God ordained uh, this world to work. Birthdays are the best, funerals are the worst, right? So sad, so tragic. Here's a picture of the Taj Mahal in India. And this was built for an emperor after he lost his wife. This is her tomb. Now, I don't know, uh, you know, what your standard is after you go off to the next world. You know, I don't know what you want on your tombstone or whatever. But wow, way to commemorate the day of death. And this just shows you the power of saying goodbye and the lengths that we will go to, to show how much somebody meant to us in this world. Um, God ordains life and he ordains death. And often when someone says goodbye to a loved one, they'll say, well, it was their time, right? Well, it was their time. Or perhaps if people go sooner, they'll say it was too soon. It wasn't their time yet because we have an expectation of a certain duration and quality of life, right? Um, and there are people in our church who can tell you a story of how they really shouldn't be here. They feel like they're on borrowed time. Pastor Mark had a heart attack last year. He had two clots clogging up the widowmaker artery in his heart. And he was, he was minutes from the hospital, thankfully. And the cardiologist who did the emergency surgery said, if you hadn't got here, if you hadn't got here, he's on bonus time. He's on borrowed time. It wasn't his time. And there are other dear saints in our church who passed along. And it was swift. It was soon. And we feel like they should still be here, Right? So God ordains that there is a time for life and a time for death, and we can't control or predict uh, that. But God built that into um, the system, and we know the story from Genesis, right, that uh, originally we had access to the tree of life, but that was ruined. And once we fell and were exited from Eden, that's when the cycle of death physically truly began. Um, I recently attended a few funerals, and at one in particular, a woman had uh, put together a memory book for her, for her mother. It was just so touching to see the pictures and the, the whole story and what a way to commemorate a life. Uh, we will have the day of life. We will have the day of death. There is a time uh, to be born and a time to die. Do you know in Jesus' life, 
this was true. In Galatians 4.4, do you know that it said, When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, Jesus. When the fullness of time, right on time, right on time. The day of Jesus' birth was right on time. And do you know that's true of the day of Jesus' death? Uh, Do you know that throughout his ministry, um, Jesus would say, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. They'd come to get him. My time has not yet come. What an example Jesus sets for us, right? What if you were omniscient and you knew every detail of your life and you could freak out in advance because you knew when you were going to die and how you were going to die and when everyone in your life was going to die. Jesus was just like, my time has not yet come. And when Lazarus went, he decided, come on back. Not your time yet. Jesus gave us such a great example of the reality that God ordains life and death. And then in Mark 14, 41, Jesus said, the hour has come. Now it's time. Jesus shows that God ordains these things. God ordains these things. He ordains life and he ordains death. And there is a fitting time for everything that happens. Next, jot this down, God ordains times for every emotion. God ordains times for every emotion. Um, It goes on to say there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. Time to be sad, down, blue, sorrowful. A a time for the tears to flow, a time for the heart to break. There's, There's a time for that. And a time to laugh, a time for the for the belly laughter, a time for the side-hurting, roaring laughter, a time when, when the tears are actually flowing for joy because you're around family and you're remembering fun things, and there's a, time, there's a time for that. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. So again, we have these extremes that include everything in the middle as well. A time to be low, a time to be very low, a time to be happy, a time to be very happy, there's a time for all of that. Um, maybe, maybe you're emotional. Maybe you experience the full range of human emotions on kind of a daily basis, and you wonder if that's okay. Uh, and I want you to know that there's a time for all of the emotions, a fitting time. God gave us these experiences to understand life in many different dazzling facets, like, like a diamond. Maybe you're not that emotional, and you are kind of wondering, you know, why, and you want to experience more of the joy of life or to face the sorrow, and hey, God built emotions into the human experience, and they serve his purpose. We don't have to feel guilty when we get emotional. Each has a place. God created them all. It says that there is a time um, in uh, verse 7, a time to tear and a time to sow. Now, that could mean, you know, physically like a time to tear a garment and a time to sew it, because this does include a lot of jobs, like it's just time to kind of do your job or part of your job. But that reference also could include when, when people in the Old Testament would get outraged or, or, or despairing, they would tear their garments. So the, the tearing of a garment could show that you're in a season of deep mourning or outrage at what has happened. Um, and, and then you would mend it together. Uh, after God, you know, came through and healed you up, there would be a mending of that garment. So um, here's a picture of Disney's movie Brave. Remember that Pixar, where there was the the tearing of the garment. You know, uh, Merida just like tore through the tapestry, and her mother was horrified because she tore it. 
And then the whole movie was about mending the, you know, what was broken by pride, and they had to come together. Uh, Mom turned into a bear. It was really crazy. You should go see it. But anyway, the whole point is there is, there is a time for that, for that tearing of the fabric, for that, you know, for that, for that ripping of, of your heart, and then there's a time for God uh, to, to mend you back together. God ordains times for every emotion. Jesus modeled this for us as well. There was a season where his disciples came back uh, after, after kind of their first go of going out and telling people about him. They came back. They were like, we did miracles. We raised the dead. And Jesus, it says his spirit was full, full of the spirit. Uh, and he was overjoyed. And then Jesus also hit rock bottom when, when he wept for Jerusalem, the mighty Savior, King of Kings, tears rolling down his cheeks for the city that would reject him. Jesus also in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he was sweating, he was weeping, he was praying, he experienced, he was a man of sorrows. So God ordains times for every emotion. Jot this down. God ordains times for every activity, for every activity. Uh, verse 3, there's a time to break down, a time to build up. Verse 5, there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Uh, that, that could mean uh, with a field, if you were kind of a farmer, you would have to gather up all the stones. You'd remove the big boulders first to clear the field so that you can plant and it could be fruitful, right? So you would gather the stones. Sometimes when you were off at war or when you were, you were abandoning a field, you would actually fill it with stones so it couldn't be used um, by the enemy. So there's a time to, you know, stop up the field from being productive, and then there's a time to gather up the stones and to make it, um, to, to make it fertile again. Um, so that's probably what that means. It goes on to say there's a time in verse 6 to seek and a time to lose. There is a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow. There's a time for every activity. And Solomon spends a lot of time reflecting on work because he wants this to be located boots on the ground. He wants this to be, while I'm toiling through this life, I want some answers here. So you'll often find him. He had great gardens and parks and palaces he was building, and he was a man who was of many things, and that's when he was thinking about these things. So he's also factoring in the people who are his servants who are just living out life, and he's like, one is sowing, and one is you know, planting, and one is building, and now it's a time for this, and now it's a time for that. There's a lot of work going on here. So God ordains time for every activity. Planting and uprooting. Many of you like gardens, you like landscaping. Um, I'm not good at it at all. I'm not really gifted. I just I was in our, our yard many years ago and I saw a plant that had to be taken out because it was in the wrong place. It was taking over stuff. It was called a yucca plant. And so I was like, all right, I'll dig it up. Dig it up. Big mistake. I think this plant came straight from Hades. I mean, the underworld. I think it had roots that reached all the way down there. I've got pictures. Check it out. This is a yucca plant. Never plant them. Go on to the next one. If you start digging, what you'll find uh, is that is the root. Um, and, and it was twice as long as that, but that's how thick it is. And here's another picture. When you finally get it up, the plant stops there and the root went all the way down into the soil. It took me like over an hour to get this one plant up. There was a time to uproot, and it was miserable. <laughs> and I'm never planting that again. Planting and uprooting, um, breaking and building. 
You know, last year we bought a fixer-upper, and so there was a lot of breaking and a lot of building. So here's a picture of our downstairs. We had to put a new stairway in. We had to flip it around. So uh, I had to get upstairs and downstairs using a ladder because we had broken down the previous stairway. And then here's the next picture. Then we built up a new stairway and made, made quite a mess. There's a time for that. There's a time for the planting and the unplanting. There's a time for the demo. Uh, there's a time for the building. There's a time for the casting away and a time for the gathering together, the ruining and the preparing. There's a time to seek, to, to go and to look, you know, as a shepherd, maybe trying to find that sheep. And then there's a time uh, to stop. There's a time to stop. This could apply to so many things in your life. This could apply to so many things in your job. This can apply to so many different places, but it includes the full range of every human activity. These all happen. God ordained them to happen, and they can serve his good purpose in time. Jot this down. God ordains times for every interaction. Let's talk about relationships. Every interaction. There's a time to embrace and a time to not embrace. This is about more than hugging, right? Maybe you're a hugger. Maybe you're not a hugger. There's a time, in other words, relationally, to really be warm and close, uh, to befriend someone, and there's a time to be guarded. There's a, there's a time to put up a boundary. There's a time for that. There's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Uh, maybe you're a talker. Maybe you're more of a listener. You're a person of few words. There's a time to talk. There's a time to be silent. God ordains those interactions. There's a time for love and a time for hate. And you can see how some of these we have to be careful with because immediately we can say, it's time to hate my boss. That's what the pastor taught me on Sunday. Uh, no, that's not what the Bible's teaching here. It's, first of all, describing that you will experience hatred in your life. There will be a time for that. Um, but there are, there are righteous expressions of this emotion, this interaction in Scripture. There's a strong indignation. We are to hate what is evil. We have to be careful because there's tons of restrictions placed on things like this, and we're commanded to do the opposite. We're commanded to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So we're not to get too carried away and to use this as, you know, therefore I can hate. The point is this. In the observable ordained reality, there is a time where that will happen. There's a time when that should happen. There's a time for war and a time for peace. Wow, there's a whole lot bound up in that. We realize that there, there's not necessarily an inherent right and wrong to these opposites. It's not like planting is good and uprooting is evil. It's not about that. It's, it's more often about just the extremes of what we will experience. And um, just like a birthday can be good, a funeral can actually be good. The Bible says, in, actually in this book, it says it's better to go to the house of mourning because that's where you learn more about life. So it's not that one is bad and the other is good. It's that these are just all essential components to creation. And so how can war, war with all of its horrors, check it out, here's a picture. How can, how can war be God's will and part of his plan? Um, we know in particular that war overall is not God's best plan for humanity because he will make war cease forever. So this is one of those things where it is bad, but God can definitely use it. And there's a time for peace, which is um, always applauded in Scripture more, more than war. God ordains times for every interaction. God is showing us that there is a fitting time for everything that happens, life and death, every emotion, every activity, every interaction. 
Now, what do we do with that? We've just read a beautiful commemoration of here's life. Welcome to earth. This is the human experience. But what are we supposed to do with that meditation? Well, go ahead and look at the next verse. It goes on in verse 9 to say this. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Oh, isn't that wonderful? He has made everything beautiful in its time. Solomon's really struggling with despair. He could have very easily said, he has made everything miserable in its time. (laughs) He didn't say that. Beautiful, good, fitting. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now that's wonderful too, because the measure here of everything going on in time is something much bigger, something much different. It's the complete collection of all of it in the very sovereign will of God. Now eternity is the catch-all, is the boundaries of everything happening within time, and that's in our heart so that we know that there's more than just my moments. It's going to add up to something eternal. Your life is going to add up to and amount to and be immersed in something eternal. Wow. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pull out some principles from this. Go ahead and jot this down. Number two, embrace God's timing. We're drawing principles out of what Solomon just said, and we're tying them into other parts of the Bible that reflect on this idea of God's sovereign timing. Embrace God's timing. Embrace God's timing. How do we cope under the toil of life um, with all of its unpredictability, with all of its contradicting rhythms while we're just trying to make it through? How do we cope with that? Well, we are to embrace God's timing. It says here that he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's clearly the determining factor of the timing. And he has put eternity into man's heart. So we know that God is the one in control of ordering all these affairs and the unfolding of it. He didn't just wind it all up and walk away. He's actively causing it to unfold according to his plan. Well, if we know that, jot this down, we can be joyful always. We can be joyful always. In verse 12, it says, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful. Be joyful. You could reflect on this and say, well, be be terrified. Be, you know, uh, run for the hills. War is coming. Like, you could really freak out knowing that this is all included. It's all in the box. You're going to experience, you know, all of it. So, but he focuses on joy. It doesn't mean to enjoy everything that's going on in your life. Uh, or to deny the pain of it. That's not what it means. It means God is in control so you can find joy in any season. Maybe you're struggling with joy right now. Maybe because of the times God has appointed in your life, joy is really hard. You're not experiencing it, and you're not sure exactly how or why to, to be filled with joy given the time, the season that you're in. And I would just say this. If you keep reflecting on the fact that God is the one who is in control of the unfolding of not just your life, but of the whole story, you can find joy in that. You can find joy that, that, that he is the one 
who is in control of all of it. Um, Jonathan Edwards had a great quote. We'll put the slide up here, but here's what he said. He said, our bad things turn out for good, our good things can never be lost, and the best things are yet to come. I love that. You can have that joy when you realize because God's in control of the whole rhythm of everything. Our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost and the best things are yet to come. There's a resolve in that. Maybe you need to, based on the fact that God's in control of all of it, have a resolve. You know what? There's a time for this and God's in control of that. Jot this down. Expect to experience the full range of life. So be joyful and expect to experience the full range of life. It says in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And in verse 15, it says, that which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. Meaning it's, it's all coming back. The, you know, the things that are happening in this world are not new. The cycle is going to continue. There's not suddenly going to be no death until Jesus returns. Therefore, expect to experience the full range of life. We want to be exempt from the more undesirable parts of existence, but God won't do that. He won't do that. Jesus put it clearly, in this world you will have trouble, right? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We should count it all joy, James says, when we face trials of many kinds because God is at work. The Bible actually says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. God the Father is showing you his love when life gets hard, when he walks you through a tough season, when he holds you up and holds you together. So we have to expect to experience the full range of life. And jot this down, we have to learn how to wait for God's timing. It says, God, uh, there's a time for every matter, right? There's a time for that. And that implies that God's the one determining both that there is a place for that, but also when it comes about. God's the one who determines the timing. And if it isn't time yet, we have to wait. And if time's up, we have to move. So I would ask you this, what is God making you wait for right now? What, if, what have you asked him for or expected of him? And he said, not yet. Boy, waiting is one of the hardest tests you can be in. There's a lot of tests in the Bible, but waiting is one of the hardest tests to pass because we don't like to wait. What is God making you wait a long time for? We're waiting for a lot of things in life, am I right? We're all waiting for car prices to drop, ports to clear up, COVID to go away. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. When it comes to my life, you know, as I reflect on my life, a personal story, I, I used to be a teacher before I was a pastor, and when God was getting my heart ready to step into full-time ministry, I was ready to go, and God made me wait two years where I was still teaching. Uh, where I found a part-time way to enter into ministry, but I had to teach for two long years when I felt like it was ready to go into ministry, and only after that four-year span of two years of full-time, well, four years of full-time teaching, but I had two years of part-time ministry, then finally God opened the door and said, now you're going to be a full-time youth pastor. But those two years were long, long, and I felt ready, and God's like, not yet, it's time to wait. Do you know our church is in a season of waiting right now? For the first time in our history, we're waiting for a new worship pastor. Do you know it's only been like a little over a month where our church hasn't had a worship pastor? Do you know how spoiled we were? We should have had years without a full-time oversight of that ministry. And so I know, I'm feeling it too. Like, all right, come on, God, hurry up, hurry up. Where is he? You know, 
I hope you're praying because we're also waiting for an adult pastor, and I've got resumes coming in now that, you know, Christmas is over. I've got resumes for both those positions coming in. So I'm going to need wisdom to sort through those, and I hope you're praying for, for God to provide in His time. Trust me, we don't want to rush that decision. We want the right person at the right time that God brings along. Hey, are you praying for that? We have to wait for God's timing. We can't say, hurry up, God. We can't say, slow down, God. Now, a balancing truth to this is we can pray. We can lament. We can say, God, slow down. We can say, God, speed up, and sometimes he does. It's okay. But what we're uh, commemorating here is generally we have to wait for God's timing. And listen, he will answer you. He will respond to you. He will. He will respond to you. Uh, An angel showed up to Daniel after prayer, and he's like, when you prayed several weeks ago, I started, and finally I came. We don't get that. We don't get like, here's when God started working on your thing, and here's when he got around to it. Daniel heard that. It was pretty unbelievable. But there is a time for God to answer you. All right, so number two, embrace God's timing. Be joyful always, expect to experience the full range of life, and wait for God's timing. Number three, understand the season you are in. Understand the season you are in. Be mindful of where you are on the mall map. Remember the mall map? You are here. If there are all these changing seasons of life, you have to know where you're at. There was a Navy SEAL trainer named Jacko Willink who said, the most important piece of intel in any combat situation is your location on the battlefield. If you don't know where you are, you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt other people. You might even get people killed. If you don't know where you are on the battlefield, we can't help you. That's so wise. Maybe you're in a season of transition. Maybe you're in a season of loss. Maybe you're in a season of desperation. Maybe you're in a season of prosperity and gain. Maybe you're in a season of confusion. Maybe you're in a season of pain. Maybe you're in a season of joy. You have to know where you're at. In your heart, is it spring? Is it summer? Is it fall? Is it winter? You have to be able to say that, to know where you're at in all of the seasons that are possible. And then wherever you are, jot this down, you have to be alert and awake. Now, this is drawn from the New Testament because I feel like sometimes when Solomon says something, we have to balance it with what the New Testament says to us. So he, Solomon kind of wants to go right to, well, you know, whatever season you're in, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, like just ex- but in the New Testament, there's a counter truth that says, be alert and awake. Like, know where you're at and be very alert and, and guarded against folly. Solomon wasn't too guarded against folly. So we're importing this, right? Um, be alert and awake. The Bible clearly tells us that we can't be asleep, indulging in worldly passions. We can't be wasting our one chance on this life to honor Christ because there's no sequel. Uh, Ephesians 5.16 says we are to make the best use of the time that we are given. That means to save it from waste because there's a limited supply And because God will bring everything to judgment, we have to be awake and we have to be alert. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 is a very powerful verse. It says that we are those, get this, on whom the end of ages has come. We are in the last days. Once Jesus rose again, we're in the end. It's like the clock has expired and we're in overtime 
And the next redemptive thing to come is the unfolding and the unraveling of all of, of this. That should create a mindfulness. That should create an urgency. That should create a focus so that we don't get lulled into sleep. Often in the New Testament, the fire alarm is pulled to wake us up to the season of urgency that we're in. And can you imagine if you walked over to a fire alarm in our church and pulled it because there was a fire in the kitchen and a lullaby started to play? And we all went to sleep. Look, when the New Testament pulls the fire alarm and says, he's coming back soon, we have to get ready. Am I right? So we have to be alert and awake. In Mark 13, 35, Jesus just flat out said it, stay awake. We have to understand the times and the seasons we're in. Jot this down, and we have to be wise and godly. Now this is back to what Solomon would say. Solomon would always commend wisdom. There are entire chapters in this book where he shares wisdom because he knows that improves the human experience. In Psalm 90, Moses said, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. What is wisdom? The easiest way to describe it is this. Here's a picture of a compass. Wisdom is like God's compass. I think, do we have that picture? So um, it, it's a general directional tool, God's wisdom, that navigates us in a hundred different places of life. So your finances, your relationships, it, it's not necessarily a X on the, you know, X marks the spot. You have to exactly, it's more like go east and God wants you to be, you know, that's what God's wisdom is. The compass shows you God's will, what he wants most, and you're following, like, like this is your compass. You're following God's word. This is what the wise person does with marriage and with children and with worship and with finance. This is your compass. This is what the wise person does. The fool casts this book aside and does what he wants. He, do, he does it his own way. So we have to um, be wise and godly, especially based on the season we're in. Um, so be wise and godly, be alert and awake, understand the season you're in. Uh, and then jot this down finally, prepare for eternity. Prepare for eternity. So, so far, there's a fitting time for everything that happens. Embrace God's timing. Be joyful always. Expect to experience the full range of life. Wait for God's timing. Understand the season you're in. Be alert and awake, wise and godly. And now finally, number four, prepare for eternity. Prepare for eternity. Again, back in the text, um, it says... He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. He said, oh, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good. That's where the wisdom comes from. Do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift. Now get this. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. There is a forever. There is a forever, folks. There is a forever. And Rick Warren said, life is preparation for eternity. Are you preparing? Are you seeing how eternity is going to weave everything together in a way that brings God the most glory? God has done it so that people fear before him. Do you know that we are to revere God because he's done it all in time and eternity is at his beck and command? That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. God seeks what has been driven away. That means that he's going to grab what has been lost in time 
and bring it to bear. This goes on in the next section to talk about judgment. In other words, it, it might seem like it just flew away forever. It's coming back. Everything that flows through the sands of time, they matter. They all matter. Every moment matters. Every choice matters. Every piece of this, it all matters, and it's all coming back together in God's time. We have to prepare for eternity. Jesus was such a great model for us in this. Let me read from one commentary that uh, lays this out that I read this week. Jesus, through his earthly ministry, always knew the right time for everything. He began his public ministry with the announcement that the time is fulfilled. Then he proceeded to do everything at precisely the right moment. Jesus knew when it was time to plant, when it was time to uproot. When he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He was taking his disciples and replanting the ancient vineyard of the people of God. As Lord of the harvest, he said, every plant my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Jesus demonstrated his divine power when he cursed a figless fig tree uh, by the following morning, it had withered all the way down to its very roots. Jesus knew when it was time to heal. As he performed the miracles of the kingdom, he made the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, and the blind to see. He knew when it was time to break down. Think of the way he drove the money changers out of the temple. Also, when it was time to build up, like when the time he built his church on the rock of Peter's confession of Christ. Jesus knew the right time for every emotion. Times to mourn as the man of sorrows he grieved at the tomb of Lazarus. And shed the good shepherd's tears for the lost sheep of Jerusalem. But there were also times for him to dance with laughter. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit when his disciples came back from their first mission trip and told him how they had done the work of the Spirit of the kingdom. In personal relationships, Jesus knew when it was time to seek for lost sheep and when it was time to lose the goats that refused to hear his voice. He embraced tax collectors and prostitutes and other poor sinners who knew how much they needed a Savior, but Jesus refrained from embracing the scribes, the Pharisees, and other proud people who insisted that they were righteous enough for God. He knew when it was time to speak, when it was time to keep silent. He did a lot of talking, telling stories, explaining the law, preaching the gospel. But when it came time for the trial of his life, he did not speak in his own defense, but suffered in silent innocence. Then it was time for him to maintain silence in fulfillment of the ancient prophecies. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. To the day he died, Jesus knew the right time for everything from beginning to end. God's sovereignty over time and eternity is perfectly and gloriously displayed in the life and work of Jesus Christ. All of time, all of your life should direct you to Christ. God brought him into the world to prepare you for eternity. You should jot this down. Jesus must prepare a place for you. That's where he went. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Do you know that heaven is going to be spectacular, but do you know that it's not your kingdom? It belongs to another. You're showing up on the doorstep, those pearly gates of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has he prepared a place for you? Your whole life and everything in it is meant to direct you to Jesus. He is the Alpha, he is the Omega, and the Bible says from him and for him and to him are all things. Have you recognized that the whole point of your life is to know and love and serve Jesus Christ? Jesus must prepare a place for you. Jot this down. Jesus must prepare you by grace through faith. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Do you have Jesus Christ in your life as Savior and Lord? He must prepare you by giving you new life, and he must prepare a place for you. Solomon is very clear 
the difference between those who please God and those who don't. In chapter 2, verse 26, it says, For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. Hey, is this whole life going to be one big gathering and collecting and piling up, and then you just give it away to someone else and go off without God forever? Or is God giving you the wisdom and the knowledge and the joy of knowing that, that to live is Christ and to die is gain? That everything in this world is getting you ready to spend forever with Jesus and therefore it's all beautiful in its time. Hey, whether Jesus is your Savior or not, I want you right now to be able to bring everything in your life that's happened or that will happen before his feet and to humbly invite him to be the director and coordinator and orchestrator of your life and your eternity. Let's pray to Jesus together right now. Jesus, what a beautiful truth we've heard today. You make everything beautiful in its time. And I don't know what season of life people are in right now. I don't know what they're going through. Many here have walked with you for many years, and some maybe are just beginning their journey. Some have not even started understanding how their whole life fits together to glorify you. Wherever they are, I pray that they would say in their own heart, Jesus, you are the way. Jesus, you are the truth. Jesus, you are the life. I follow you through this life and on to eternity. Lord, fill me with joy. Fill me with wisdom. Fill me with hope. Come what may, be my shepherd and guide, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We pray this in Jesus' name.